So God wants this grace that brings the water to every person. So when preachers add works to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel, and it can't bring salvation. And that's why you and I should make sure that the gospel that we preach is truly grace. And the test of salvation and the gospel message, is it free or do you have to earn it? Grace means unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. That means you don't do anything to deserve it before and you don't do anything to deserve to keep it. Getting it and keeping it is all by grace. Because you see, people say, well, you're saved by grace, but now they think you keep it by your works. And if you don't behave yourself, God will take it away from you. Then it wasn't free. Grace means that He gives it to me as a gift. I didn't do anything for it, and I can't do anything to keep it. We're saved by grace. We are kept saved by grace. I didn't deserve it when I got it, and I still don't deserve it to this day. Forty-nine years I've been serving the Lord, but all of that service can't keep my salvation. Can't even help. Because I am saved by grace, I am kept saved by grace. I like that. Go back to Galatians. So he says here in uh, verse 3 of second chapter, he says, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Because, see, that was what these legalistic Judaizers were trying to tell them. You have to teach people to keep the commandments, and they got to be circumcised. He says, look, and he's writing to these Galatian Christians because they had been moved. And if they had been moved from the gospel of Christ, remember in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ and to another gospel. It means that these people that Paul had led to Christ had already accepted a false message. Can God's people be lured into a by works message and wind up teaching a message that can't save? Save people can do that. And I would venture to say a lot of them do. Now get what he says in verse 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in. In other words, they were unaware that they had a false message. You see, when the enemy cannot storm the gates, they infiltrate. If they can't conquer you from the outside, they will come in and infiltrate. Uh, that's how Rome fell. Not so much of being conquered from the outside, is that they had an immigration problem. I'm telling you the truth. And America can fall because the strangers within our gates will rise up against us sooner or later. It'll happen. And you'll find they will fight for their rights. And yet they're illegitimate. Well, I could get sidetracked here. Hmm. But what I want you to see is that they come in and spy out your liberty that you have in Christ and try to bring you into bondage. Did you know that our representatives today that's supposed to be protecting our freedoms are doing just the opposite 
They're taking away our freedoms. See, I got off on it again. But it's all in through the book. And they promise you liberty when they're putting you in bondage. Are we having more freedom today? No, we're losing the freedom. And this is why he says, they come in and they spy out your liberty. And then they try to put you under bondage. Well, remember what he says there in chapter 5, look in chapter 5 and verse 1, that you ought to underline in your Bible, where it makes the statement in chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us, what? Free. You do not have to earn your salvation. You can't get it by earning it. You can't keep it by trying to earn it. By deserving it. Do I deserve salvation today more than I did 49 years ago? No. I couldn't earn it then, and I can't earn it now. I wasn't good enough then, and I'm not good enough now. I was saved by grace, and I'm still saved by grace because I haven't done one thing in 49 years to deserve being saved. Neither of you. Shouldn't say that. God did. So go there to Galatians in chapter 2 and look at this. See there in verse 4? And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, this is a strong statement that he makes here. Let me show you why. He says, because of false brethren brought in. False brethren brought in. This happened, and I want you to see this. Look down in verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I would stood him, Peter, and if he was the first pope, he really messed up. And yet he posed to be, you know, infallible. Well, Peter was not. Besides that, he had a wife. But anyway, we won't get into that. He said, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. It looked like an error, problem in his man's life. He says, for before that, certain came down from James, from Jerusalem. He did eat with the Gentiles, talking about Peter. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision or these Jews. And the other Jews that were there in Antioch, that were in this church in Antioch, remember this church in Antioch had Jews and Gentiles in the same body believers. Peter, one of the head honchos, the big name, he comes down as a guest speaker, I guess he was probably a traveling evangelist, and he came down to, to visit the church there in Antioch. And while he was there, what did he do? He split Paul's church. Split his church. So what did he do that was so bad? He compromised the gospel. Peter compromised the gospel because he was being hypocritical in what he did. Because when he was there with them, he would talk and Fellowship with those Gentiles. 
ate with those Gentiles. But when those legalistic Judaizers came down, he backed away. He didn't want anything to do with those Gentiles. Because, see, he was afraid of what they might think. So he compromised. And how did this affect the gospel? Well, it did. Because they taught you had to keep the law. And they said you had to be circumcised. And these Gentiles hadn't, and they still consider them dogs. So Peter withdrew himself, and then the Jews that were in Paul's church there withdrew also. And Barnabas, you know the great comforter with Paul, that counselor, that when they came alongside and helped the great apostle Paul, he also was moved because of what Peter did. And he also withdrew from the Gentiles. Why? All because of some false people. See, they ought to know enough. They did, but they still got moved by it. And that's why the Bible says, Paul withstood Peter to the face and says, you're to be blamed. It's your fault because of what you did. Now, we ain't got there yet. But we're getting close to that portion of Scripture where we'll explain all of that. All right, now we've got to go back and cover it until we get there. But I just couldn't stand it. I had to tell you the story in advance. Look what he says here in verse 4. He says, they do this in order to spy out your liberty. And they try to put you into bondage. And they, in other words, to try to get you to live your life in fear, like you're going to lose your salvation. And that's always the key thing. You've got to do this or you'll lose your salvation. You've got to go to church because if you don't, you'll lose your salvation. You've got to give money or you'll lose your salvation. All these things, if you don't do right and do it, then you'll lose your salvation. And those sins out there, if you commit those, you're going to have to get saved all over again and keep your confession built up as you go, or you don't make it. And they use the fear of going to hell in the future to try to make you toe the mark. That's a false message. That's been put under bondage. That's under the law. It did not save you to start with, and it won't keep you safe. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Oh, foolish, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He said, how, how did you get saved? How did you receive the Spirit? Because you kept the law or because you heard and you simply believed? Boy, he hits it hard. This is an awesome book on the clarity of the gospel and the clarity of the gospel is an issue. And I have made it an issue all my life. I should say, since I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, look there again in verse 5. Look in verse 5. He says in verse 5, To whom we gave place by subjection, note, not for an hour. In other words, we didn't budge one iota because of who they were. You don't compromise the message just for the sake of peace. Just so somebody will think something of you. No. So he says, and you ought to underline it, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, continue with you. 
Did you know that if we start compromising the gospel and we say after a while, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling people to turn from their sin. There's nothing wrong with, you know, making Christ the Lord and the master of your life. Or just along the line, something simple like, you know, all you got to do is just, just ask Jesus in the heart. See, those are phrases that people use, but none of that has to do with going to heaven. You don't make Christ the Lord and the master of your life to go to heaven. That's for service. You don't turn from your sins to be saved. You just trust Christ as your Savior. You don't stop your sins in order for God to save you. Like, now I deserve to be saved because I quit my sins. But if I don't quit my sins, God, I don't deserve to be saved. All boys I do, do you deserve it or not? No, I don't deserve to be saved. I never have. But those are nice, pretty little phrases that people use. But it wouldn't be long before, next thing you know, this church would be no different from any other church. And then what would make you different? What would make you unique? I believe that Calvary stands for the clarity of the gospel. Because it is an issue. And not to believe that it is an issue, then you'll slowly lose the issue unless you defend the issue. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I have had to take stands every church that I've ever preached in. I mean, I've preached in a lot of churches. And I've had preachers sit there and squirm because they know they can't contradict what I said. They can't take that Bible and contradict the gospel that I preach. Ain't no way you can't do it. Every verse they can use, I know. And they try to put a spin on it. You can't put a spin on the gospel. It's either clear, it's by grace, or it's by works. It's not a combination one way or the other. And when you see that, then you can detect any little thing that comes along that's, hey, wait a minute, that, that's not right. No, 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 no. And you can see it. So get what he says here in verse 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat. Now I believe he's talking about these, uh, the leaders there in Jerusalem. The apostles. Remember, the apostle Paul has been challenged by his apostleship. They don't believe he was an apostle. They don't believe that he had the same gospel that the other apostles had. So he goes to Jerusalem. And while he's there, there's a knockdown drag out. And they have a big conference up there in Jerusalem. Now, we will cover the 15th chapter of Acts that goes with this because that's where the story took place. Now, between now and then, don't you cheat and go reading the 15th chapter of Acts now. Stay out of the 15th chapter of Acts. Don't you go there. Because then see, you'll say, well, I already know it. I don't need to go. No, no. So in verse 6, he's talking about these people who are looked upon as great leaders. Look how he words it. He said, but of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's persons. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. So here we have the Apostle Paul go to Jerusalem. They meet with the apostles and he says, we've all met in conference. How would you like to have a meeting with all the apostles? And he says, they had nothing to add to his message. Evidently what God gave him was sufficient. 
And all the apostles, who seemed to be somewhat the leaders, he said, they didn't add one thing to what I already knew. Okay, what else he said? He says here in verse 7, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, Gentiles, was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision to the Jews was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the Jews, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. In other words, there's Paul, there's Peter. Peter was reaching the Jews in Jerusalem. Paul was an evangelist going out among the Gentiles. They come together. You got the same message. Though they had never met except that one place over there after about three years, they finally met Peter. Then 14 years later now, they go up there to Jerusalem. And he says, this is what took place. He says in verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, Peter, James, and John, in a sailboat, remember that song? Peter, James, and John in a sailboat. Same three guys. He says, who, and you ought to underline it, seemed to be pillars. Now, this is not a slam upon them as apostles. But in Paul's eye, he said, seemed to be their pillars in the church because of the truth. The church was supposed to be the, the place where you came to learn truth. He said, and these were the pillars in the church. Perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen, Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision or to the Jews. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. In other words, I was already doing that anyway. But, now in verse 11, everything's going along fine. But then there's a problem. He said, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I would stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, that's the church in Jerusalem, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them. Paul was not that person that didn't have fear. Paul was afraid. I mean, Peter was afraid of those Jews from Jerusalem because, see, that's the ones he's trying to reach. So he compromised a little bit. It's okay to compromise just a little bit, isn't it? Not with Paul, it wasn't. And again, verse 13. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Before you get the word hypocrisy. Insomuch that Barnabas also, also was carried away with their dissimulation, their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly. Now, we're not talking about their talk. We're talking about their walk. Their talk was the same, but their walk wasn't the same. He said, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the, and here's that phrase again, truth of the gospel. In other words, the way we live should not be a detriment to the gospel of grace that we proclaim. I know a man that I believe was one of the best as far as defenders of the gospel of grace. But because of sin in his life, he became one of the greatest enemies to the very message that he loved. Because it can be used to discredit the gospel of grace. What it says in verse 14, 
But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter behind his back, no, I said unto Peter, before them all, if thou, being a Jew, liveth after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He says, you're a Jew. You live like the Gentiles. They show up, oh, you don't want to live like the Gentiles, you want to live like the Jew. He said, you hypocrite. But you're a hypocrite. Because Peter was giving legitimacy to the message of those false teachers. The only reason he would compromise them is because it's like they have some element of truth. And you need to listen to them. Like their message that you have to be circumcised or keep the law, like there's truth there. Because otherwise, why are you giving in to that message? Because you see, those Gentiles hadn't been circumcised. Because of them. And trying to spy at your living. And Paul saw this as a, a detriment to the gospel of grace. And what they were doing was hypocritical. So he says this. He says in verse 15, We, who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, they're sinners enough, and look in verse 16. Verse 16 is an awesome verse. You ought to memorize this verse. I know it looks a little long, but it's, um, it's a good verse. He said, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we, the apostles, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Sounds pretty clear to me. You're either saved by grace or you're saved by works. He says it's by faith, just by believing. Not by your works. The law cannot justify you. And says that Paul said this to Peter in front of everybody that was there. So that Peter didn't want those Jews to know that he lived like the Gentiles. Paul says in front of them all, you, being a Jew, you live like the Gentiles. Ew. So if they didn't know it, they know it now. Because Paul told on him. In front of everybody. You know later on when Peter wrote, he says some mighty good things about the Apostle Paul. Toward the end of the chapter in 2 Peter. says some nice things about Paul and his message and so on. So I guess uh, everybody was friends after this. One went his way and the other one went the other way. But there did come a problem. Because it wasn't long before Barnabas decided to go with Mark. And anyway, Paul went a different direction. But look what he says in verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. In other words, if I am still seeking to be justified, what it means is I am not now justified. If I am seeking to be saved, what I am saying is I am not now saved. You see, I am not seeking to be justified. I am not seeking to be saved. Why? I already am. Why am I seeking something if I already got it? The only ones who are trying to keep their, do their good works to 
be saved is because they're saying they're not yet saved. Because if they don't perform, they won't get there. I know I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I can't go to hell if I tried. And I don't care what lost man out there or what preacher don't like what I said. I won't change the truth of this message because, well, you know, that offends people. Then let it offend them. Why should I change the truth of this book? Because somebody might get offended because of it. Then let them get a life. Get a grip. I got one. But anyway, as I'm moving along right here, he said in verse 17, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. I'm still a sinner. If I'm still seeking to be saved. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? No. Either God saves you or he doesn't. It's like saying Christ on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world, but it won't do you a bit of good if you don't earn it. He says in verse 18, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Uh, the reason that I can't be condemned to hell in the future is because, see, I already died. I'm already a dead man. Whenever you're dead to the law means that judicially God declares that you have already died. So that's why I can't go to hell and pay for sin because I've already done it. When did I do this? When Christ did it for me. His death was put to my account. And that's why he says there in verse 20, I am what? Crucified with Christ. I've already died and paid for all of my sins. The law can't touch a dead man. And I'm a dead man. I died. Isn't that good? And yet people can't see this. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. So, it's like I died on that cross and I, I paid for my sins. And I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did for me. That's awesome. Awesome truth. I'm in God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you again for your blessing to us. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word. Lord, I pray that if those that are here this morning, those that maybe watch by internet, they could see it and understand that only by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, him alone, can a person have eternal life. That you love them that much that you pay for all their sins. And because of grace, no man's ever earned it, never will earn it. Not by his works can he keep it. Saved by grace, disciplined by grace. We serve by grace. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.